Welcome to the New Books Network. And something just fell down behind me. <laughs> That's how it is. But we're starting. We're, we're live. That's we right. Are, we started with a bang. We're super live. Hello again to Lori Walmart. <laughs> Hello, Mel. I'm so happy to be back here with you again. Yeah, and like we, we don't have to go through all of the niceties and um, oh, there goes another thing. We'll just listen to things fall down behind me. You're 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 in New Jersey and things are falling off the wall. Yes, even what, without what, an earthquake. What am I going to say here in Israel with the war going on? That's true. Um, okay, we'll we'll try and keep things uh, intact during the next <laughs> uh, forty five minutes or so. So so Lori Walmart, it's a pleasure to have you back. Um, my best and favorite interviewees, um, I find good excuses to bring them back. Uh, oh, and I've forgotten, um, I'm Mel Rosenberg. I am the, what am I? I am the, um, what am I? I'm the host of the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network. And you we think are you would back. know that by now. <laughs> I know, I have the craziest blocks. You wouldn't believe it. Um, and and Laurie, so so congratulations. Um, you have a zillion billion books coming out this year. I cannot keep track of you. Um, and we're celebrating a book that just came out yesterday? Uh, Tuesday. Ah, what's the day between friends? That's right. So so another book, and, and not surprisingly, not surprisingly, it's another nonfiction. And uh, not surprisingly, it's unfortunately of a wonderful lady who died uh, tragically. And um, show us the book. Brag. Talk about it. Well, it would help if I had come prepared, wouldn't it? And that's one of the books that fell down. So if you'll excuse me just a moment, I have the book right next to me. We shall. This is all about spontaneity and about being in the moment, Laurie. And books sometimes fall. It's called gravity. That they do. Okay, so here it is. Journey to the Stars, Kalpanachala, Astronaut. So it's another picture book biography of a woman in STEM. And talks about how she grew up in India, immigrated to the United States, studied here, worked hard, became an astronaut, and up she went. And uh, this is a um, a unique book because it's co-written. It, it might be the first book that I know that you've co-written. Uh, and mm-hmm. picture books are not that often co-written. They're usually written by an author and illustrated by an illustrator or the same person. But you have a threesome going. So it's... <laughs> Explain. A little menage a trois here. Ah. Oh. Oh, so shouldn't say things like that. Okay. Kids, kids, block your ears. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, let me tell you the story of how this came to be. Uh, my co-author, Rocky Murchandani, she and I shared the same literary agent. And Rocky writes fiction picture book biographies. But she has always been a big fan of Kalpanachala. In fact, she has a big poster of Kalpanachala up in her daughter's bedroom. And there were no picture book biographies about her, and Rocky thought there should be. But she felt that she needed help writing this because this was not her area of expertise. So we knew each other. You know, we'd met several times. Our agent, Liza Liza Fleisig, would help if I got her name correct, uh, put us together. And from there on, we wrote the book. So, so whose idea was it to put you together? I think it probably was Rocky's because she did know me, um, but then Liza facilitated it. So how, how, did, how did you write it together? I wrote the first draft because that's what I'm used to doing. And then we went back and forth, you know, making changes, doing 
putting emphasis here, taking that out, thinking about the back matter. Um, it's it, it, it really is fun co-writing with someone, you know, because other people don't want to hear about your book quite as much as a co-writer might. So who knows? We might co-write a book together sometime. You never know. That would be an interesting one. I mean, I um, do have another co-written book that's out on uh, submission right now. So that may be my second one. That's wonderful. And and to what extent is this a, a, a also a um, a own voices uh, issue? Well, that is part of it. If someone had come to me out of the blue and said, would you like to write about Kalpanachala? I would give two reasons why I wouldn't. Uh, one, that... I think we need to leave room for people, you know, of different ethnic groups, of different gender, whatever it is, you know, whatever group that person represents, if they're underrepresented, I don't want to take away other people's voices, right? So that's reason one. But reason two, you're not going to get it as well. I mean, you're going to make mistakes writing about another culture. It doesn't matter how much you how much research you do and everything you watch videos and you read books it's not the same as having lived at that culture you're going to make mistakes so if you do write outside your own culture at a minimum you do need a sensitivity reader someone who in that culture who will read through and make sure you haven't made mistakes you haven't inadvertently done something um that casts negative shadow on the person you know because you're not familiar with the culture so uh, let's mention also the uh, wonderful illustrator okay so i'm as is usual i've never met the illustrator but i think she did a great job um the publisher did ask us our opinion about illustrators but again i didn't feel like i was qualified to give an opinion about an indian illustrator right um illustrating Indian things. Mm -hmm. you know, so I left that to my co-author, Rocky, and to the um, publisher to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And the publisher, we should mention, Beaming Books. Yes, absolutely. And, um, so so uh, Mazel Tov uh, on this uh, new release. And um, my goodness, in, in July, you had two books come out like a week from each other. Right, two weeks from each other. That was a trip. <laughs> That was the trip. What 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 does a publisher say um, when they they discovered you have two books coming out the same month? They obviously would prefer that it not happen. But I had three books come out last year. There's just so much time in a year, and it's not that the three books sold all in the same year. You know, books take different amount of times, especially picture books, to be published because they have to find an illustrator. So you know, they just sort of came up against each other and that's just the way it happened it makes life very interesting for those few weeks in there uh so let's talk about those two books just briefly even though we mentioned them uh so um you have a reputation as being the lady the world's <laughs> leading lady of writing stem biographies <laughs> of dead ladies right <laughs> and uh, you did polgar is very much alive um, it's it's a lovely book. Um, in our last conversation, you said that it was a scientific book, but you know, I mean, you're the author; you can say whatever you like. But as a reader, sure. my my uh, reader response was, um, 
Not so much. It's it's a great uh, biography about a very very uh, um, interesting story of a family and a, and a and a young girl from the age of five has this um, overriding ambition to be a world chess hero. Right. The reason I still feel I can call it a a math book, and you're right, I can do anything I want. Um, <laughs> In the, back matter, <laughs> in the back matter, I include how chess and math are connected. So though the story itself really doesn't have math in it, it has chess in it. Then you go to the back matter to see how mathematical chess really is. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I'm with you. But I mean, like the book doesn't have, you know, uh, she opened the Sicilian defense and uh, and so on and right. um, it, and and I and I would venture that's why it's such a gorgeous book. The the do you have it anywhere without the, like um, upsetting the uh, the apple cart? <laughs> um, the illustrations are Let's just so see. marvelous. It's I can just take another one down and then we'll have more things fall. Yeah, take everything down. Why not? So so this one was uh, published by Little B. And illustrated by Stevie Lewis. Um, Beautifully well, illustrated. Yeah, Look at that cover. Laurie is gorgeous. Show another double spread for the people who are... Um, and, and and for everybody else, run out and buy Laurie's books. They're, they're gorgeous. It, it, it's just, it's just a, a labor of love. Um, right. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I love it. And last time we talked about mostly about the Rivka's presence. Right. Um, which was published by Random House Studio, um, a super gorgeous book. Um, and I have and, been incredibly lucky with the illustrators they've chosen for my books. Just so lucky. Um, and isn't it interesting? You know, you spend years uh, laboring over a, a a picture book, and as authors, we know the secret that um, it, it, it's basically we you know we build a framework. For the illustrator, that's what we do. <laughs> and if we're lucky, we, we get a really spectacular illustrator. The publisher picks the illustrator. Um, and then we have two choices, either to fall in love with the illustrations or, or not. Well, I'm additionally lucky that I don't have an inner picture of what the illustration should look like. That's just not the way my brain works. So what the illustrator decides to put in the pictures is always going to be interesting and new for me. Um, and then, of course, the luck that the illustrators are very talented. But a lot of people, they have such a strong image of what the illustration is going to be that even if it's the most beautiful pictures, if it doesn't match, they're unhappy. Mm -hmm. So want to hear, luckily, do want to... I don't have that, that disconnect. Do you want to hear my theory? Sure. Are you just saying that, or you actually want to hear my? No, no, I, I really do. Okay, well, I think that I think it's like having a baby. Um, okay, it, from it, your it, best experience of having a baby, yes, go on. Well, guys also sort of have babies. <laughs> you know, I mean, to the extent that we're there in the delivery room and um, right, you become a parent. Yeah, I'm become a parent, and and and, and here's the thing, you know, um, you don't really choose um, unless you're adopting a child. You don't choose uh, the way the baby looks, and sure. um, and yet, and yet you love the baby. You know, our our, our first uh, our first son was a daughter. Um, back mm -hmm. you know in the, in the days when there wasn't the uh, right when you didn't know. Thing. Yeah, and um, we were sure from the ultrasound that we were having a son, and um, 
planning the breed, you know, the, the date of the circumcision and everything, and out pops the most wonderful daughter in the world, uh, but a daughter. And, and it, it's just, you, you love it automatically. And I think that there is something, and it, it goes to what you're saying, that if you don't have an expectation and you haven't wrote a million, um, you know, art notes or illustrated right. notes, um, you know, the, the, um, the stove has a, um, a red pot on it and it's simmering. Um, that leaves you with the ability, just like you don't say, you know, God, I want my baby to look like this or that. And you're not going to say, oh, um, that's, that's the way she looks. No, I don't want her. Right. <laughs> leave, leave her in the hospital. So that's my theory that, that uh, wonderful authors like you um, are going to love the illustrations because you just love the illustrations. Yes. And the illustrations always bring an extra layer to the text. You know, there's always something in the illustration that, as the author, we didn't think of that they put in there. That's because you have given space for the illustrator to own the book. I once did a critique, a manuscript critique, and it was of a picture book. And she was so detailed. You know, the grandmother had gray curls and had this and that. And then in the back matter, she talked about how the story was based on her own family. I have no idea whatever happened with this story, but... I venture to say it never got published because if you have that strict an interpretation of what the story is, that it has to match the reality of your family, you don't leave room for story. Because it has to match the reality of the illustrator's family. I've, yeah. I, I've, I've interviewed authors where it turns out that the illustrator has illustrated his own family. And it comes out wonderful. Right, that's fine. But yeah. as the author, if we say that, then the illustrator has no room. Exactly. Exactly. So um, we've celebrated uh, your wonderful uh, over. I want to go back to one book of yours uh, from um, 2021, I think it is, uh, the Dino book. Um, try not to uh, bring a wall down as you show it to us. No, no, this one, I actually, this is the one that caused the initial things falling down from the <laughs> wall. When I took this one down right before we started to talk. Then, you know, two minutes later, boom, another minute, boom. <laughs> anyway, so this I, is the pajama party. <laughs> Laura, this is the dinosaurs getting their revenge on you, you see. <laughs> Absolutely. And because this was my first fiction book, I had people ask, is it nonfiction? I'm like, sure. Paleontologists found bits of pajamas on dinosaur bones. No, it's not nonfiction. But they were so used to me writing nonfiction that it was hard to make that that change. And there's another one with just gorgeous pictures. Yes, and Michael Michael Robertson. Uh, wow. Yes. And I love this book. And. I love it even more. Um, I'm going to ask you to read some of it, please. Sure. Um, okay. And it's much, much shorter, of course, than any of my other books. It makes it much easier to read. Par parents, parents love that. Yes. I can never get to it. Okay. And it's in rhyme. It's for littles. Dinos rock and dinos roll. Dinos stomp and dinos stroll. Here we have them stomping and strolling. All the dinos on the beat boogie to that funky beat. I'm going to read one more page and then skip to the end. Dinos roar and dinos shriek. 
dinos boom and dinos squeak, right? So they continue partying, you know, they're dancing and they're playing instruments and they're partying. And working my way towards the end, you know, even a short book, you don't want to hear the whole thing. Dancing dinos sure have fun, driving neath the setting sun, right? So it's getting nighttime, dinos yawn and dinos drag, dinos droop. And dinos sag. Dino toes are getting sore. All the dinos leave the floor. The poor one dino holding onto his toe. No more rocking out today. Sleepy dinos trudge away. Right, so it's getting darker. You know, it's a bedtime story. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to calm down from the partying, calm the kids down. Snug in bed, they dance no more. Here they are in bed. I love this. I love this. I love right. this page. And then the final page is fast asleep, the dinos snore. And they, the illustrator or the editor has split that into two spreads. It's so beautiful. Um, right. So um, one of the great things in, uh, in picture books is what they call reader response, um, that I'm allowed to read in whatever I want to. And... Um, once in a while, I get to ask the author if that's what they meant. So um, I see this, Laurie, as a metaphor for the extinction of the dinosaurs, you know, that they like dance themselves into oblivion. I'm not sure whether you meant that. No, probably the asteroid hitting the Earth had a little more to do, it, do with it than them dancing themselves into oblivion. <laughs> no, I, metaphorically speaking. Um, but what's nice about this, which is true of most little kid uh, books, is you know, when you're reading it to a kid, dino stomp. Everyone stomped, right? You know, dino squeak. You know, it's really fun to read with kids because they can do what the dinos are doing. So so um, last time we talked about um, something that I learned from a professor whose name I can't remember, that um, the historical characters uh, can become real over time in a sense. And uh, we talked about the um, the reality of Alice in Wonderland, uh, the reality of of, uh, of Moses. Um, you know, I, nobody can can prove that Moses ever existed, right. but but he he's become real. You know, over the three thousand years of the of the Jewish religion, um, and and I really believe that uh, when you write your book about Rivka. And Rivka is a conglomerate of your your Bobe and your your mom and right whoever. But um, for me, Rivka comes to life in this story, and and she becomes real in a sense. Well, and that's true. I always talk about my little Rivka or my Rivkula, rather yeah, than you, say now, my book Rivka's story. Yeah, and that so now we're going to segue into the <laughs> into the issue. But but the Dino book, and you have another a hippo book coming out. Is that a secret, or everybody knows? Um, well, it's not a secret now. <laughs> oh, oy vey. No, but, but, but you mentioned it when we talked. Right. I, I must have mentioned that I had sold that one, but it hasn't been announced or anything yet. So we're not going to say where it's coming so, from, when it's coming, just so that it's on the horizon. Hippos squelch and hippos belch. We're not going to mention a word of it. <laughs> exactly. Oy vey. Sorry. But yeah, we talk, I remember we talked about it. Well, otherwise, how would you know about it? <laughs> exactly. However, what I know about. Um, so, so, and, and, and look how much fun you're having talking about the, the dinos. And the dinos 
uh, book is completely fiction. Yes, as is the hippos. No, we're not talking about the hippos. The hippos that is, is not fiction; doesn't exist yet. <laughs> um, and and so I I said, okay, you're the you're the person to speak to, uh, especially we're both scientists um, about this conundrum about so-called nonfiction. I know I'm going to get into trouble now. I'm going to get into trouble with you and Melissa Stewart has been on the show, and I'm going to get into trouble with Jen, right. Jen, Jen and, and 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 a whole bunch of other people. Um, two Jennifers, um, and and um, first of all, the word nonfiction—it's funny. You know, it, it isn't fiction. Why don't you call it true? That's from kids when I do school visits. Is is this true? Did the person really exist? And I try to re remember to say it up front because to them it's a story. They don't know it's true. But yes, that's a good point that it should just be called true stuff, right? Not but, true stuff and true stuff. But, but here's the thing. Um, even your nonfiction stories, where you've taken the pains to um, make sure that the authors don't say anything they were never quoted as saying or never did anything they were never documented as saying, um, it's still one part of the truth and the illustrations are not the truth um, and isn't everything a story? Certainly the illustrators have more leeway. You know, they can put the character in a situation that the character might not have been in that exact location, you know, with the hill here and whatever. But yet, you know, back to Journey to the Stars, when I was going through the illustrations, you know, to check them and give com comments about them, get to the right page here. Oh, almost there. Okay. She's on the International Space Station is what it lo looked like originally, but she isn't. She's on a space shuttle. So when the illustrator originally drew the picture, it was the wrong picture. So, you know, it was fine that you have all these things floating around. I had no problem with that. But the background that she had was wrong. It was for the International Space Station, not the space shuttle. So in that way, the illustrations still do need to have a basis in truth. You know, if you're writing about a time period and the illustrators have to do research on the time period, you can't have things, you know, anachronistic things in the pictures. So it's a combination of not literary license, artistic license, but grounded in fact. One of the clever things that you do in your books, um, in my opinion, is you don't write the science. Um, and one of the people I had on the show uh, commented that uh, her first book, which is like a science nonfiction for, for children, is outdated. Um, science becomes outdated. Right. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, I had a, um, when I was a, a youngster, I, I'm older than you, and I had a, a book in the 50s about Mars. And probably everything about that book is is wrong. And, right. and, uh, and um, I can't find that book. I wish I had it. And um, the canals and the um, and it, it, it makes you think that um, the, the I don't know how to say it. When you write your biographies, they're going to be timeless. If you teach science, what are you going to teach? You know, there's 130 elements now. 25 years from now, there'll be 150. 
Well, I can put science in, but it, it's clearly the science of her time, you know, so it doesn't become dated like a, a science book saying this is the truth for now and evermore. You know, if the person discovers something, she still discovered it, even though it may change later on, because you're right, science evolves. So my next question is uh, why, I, like, I think it's really good to have nonfiction, fiction, historical fiction, informational fiction, informational nonfiction, fantastical, historical, uh, aberrational, science fictional uh, fiction, as long as the story is good. Yes. Um, I'm working on a new biography right now, and I just sent it to my critique group, and I sent it with the comment, I think this is too sciencey, and they agree because they are not science people, and their eyes glaze over, and the story got lost because it was too sciencey. I can take some of that science, put it in the back matter so it's still there, simplify it in the text because you still need to know what the person did. You can't just say, oh, she was a, a, an important scientist. Guess what she did? <laughs> um, but I can simplify it to keep that story. Most of what we do as scientists is um, turns out to be um, I wouldn't say wrong, but it gets dated with time. Like I said, evolving. You know, I think about things you know, like you, science stuff from when I was a kid that it's wrong. <laughs> so so why, why are you still so passionate about writing biographies? We talked about the importance of passion, and I grant you that. But you're so gifted uh, with writing fiction, and you're gifted uh, with rhyme and meter. Um, and I know you're going to shoot me for this, um, Maybe. But, um, which is, I, I'm crazy about your fiction. And I like the fiction, too. Um, I think what happened is because the first book that I wrote, Ada Byron Lovelace and the Thinking Machine, I am not going to, oh, it's, it's on the floor. It's no longer, oh, no, there it is. There it is. But I'm not going to pick it up because we know disaster will continue to happen if I do. Um I wanted to write a book that had math in it. And I had some fiction book or tried some fiction books with math and that didn't work. And then I wrote Ada, who was a mathematician and that did work. So that was my first book. Well, that worked. So let's write about another computer scientist, Grace Hopper, queen of computer code. Yeah, she is definitely on the floor. She's gone. <laughs> Sorry, Grace. Um, and and on and on National Computer Day too. That's right, World Computer Day. Today is World you, Computer Day, a day to celebrate happy, all happy, things computer. And poor Grace is, you know, the the world's. She's um, on the floor. Right, the person who popularized software engineering on the floor, the person who taught computers to understand language that we could understand instead of one and zeros on the floor. Oh well. Um, right. So I wrote that second one. First of all, my field was computer science. Right. So now I had two. I was on a roll. And so you sort of get into that same groove. It's what people expect, which makes it actually harder than to sell the fiction because, oh, this is nice. But how about her nonfiction? You know, why don't you send a, a so, story? So, 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 so what, what happened? Um, what happened with the with the uh, with the fiction? Um, you know, um, you found a wonderful agent uh, by showing up late. Actually, you didn't show up at all. 
right? Uh, <laughs> and and people who want the full disclosure should look in the previous uh, interview. And um, you have this wonderful uh, agents, Liza and Ginger, and right. you're you're on a roll with the nonfiction. And how did you pop this on them, uh, ladies? Um, what do you say to my? Uh, <laughs> how did this happen? I think I must have just sent it in with no explanation. You know, you know. Here's the next thing for you to look at. What do you think? <laughs> and what what did they think? Well, this it, is it, different. It, it, it was the it was the Dino book. Dino book first. The Rivka's book. The Dino book came out first. And what did they say? <laughs> like I said, well, this is different. We'll give it a try. You know, and that's all you can do in this crazy publishing world is give it a try. You know, you throw enough spaghetti against the wall, some of it sticks. Uh huh. And after, so so now that you um you've been able to break out of this, uh, I wouldn't say um, what, what should we call this? Um, well, the brand, like the brand, the, the, yeah, the branding of Lori Walmart. Right. And you've been cross branded now. Well, I once took a, a a webinar on branding, and I knew the people giving it to it, giving it. So I emailed them ahead of time, and you know, what is my brand? And they said, your brand is you write children's books. I said, okay, I can accept that. I mean, I still love picture book biographies. You know, like I say, I have one out on submission right now. I'm working on another one, but I do love the fiction too, and I do love. Poetry. I do love writing in rhyme. That's just so much fun. It's great fun, but you have to have a sense of uh, of rhythm. I used to play drums as a kid. I knew, I, 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 I knew it. I knew it. You see, and so the rhythm part actually comes naturally to me. I knew you were a scientist. You you were also a musician. I'm not saying I was a musician. Might be pushing the envelope, but I played piano. <laughs> I played drums. I played bass fiddle. Um, I played guitar. You know, so yeah, I guess I was a musician too. You see, so and this is what I teach my students. I, I tell them, look, if you if you can't sing, what you're writing. Oh, and I've been in a chorus. I have been in a chorus for many years. I'm not in them in it right now, but mm -hmm. probably ten or fifteen years, I was in a community chorus. So, so um, so I'm going to ask you um to do. I don't know. You probably say avocado, but I'm going to ask you to go back to your dinosaur book. And sing a bit of it. And sing it? Yeah. Well, let's see. We take from the middle where we haven't heard, so at least you're hearing different things. Okay. Uh, let's see. Dinos plink and dinos drum, dinos toot and dinos drum. This is why I'm not singing anymore. <laughs> I thought that that was splendid. <laughs> I'll give you one more page of sing. I mean, they were tooting and strumming, so it seemed to appropriate dinos come from all around just to play that rocking sound so they all are coming down the road so um i think that the next uh, step here is to turn this into a song <laughs> i think i may uh enlist the aid of some friends of mine who are actually songwriters if i were to do that though as a kid i did write songs i'm not surprised either you know you know i wrote the, the melody and i wrote the words so i'm going to challenge you for the next time we get together uh oh. To uh, put a tune to this <laughs> and a chorus. I'll you know, see what I can do. Dinosaur, dinosaur, more and more and more and more, piling right. onto the piling onto the ballroom floor. <laughs> With and their feet are sore. <laughs> <laughs>
going to the store. You see? And uh, joining the Marine Corps. I mean, you can go like this on. I like this all day. <laughs> people are watching, though. Uh, but so I, I'm just going to this, this was a, a marvelous interview because um, I think that I'm looking for people that will agree with me that it's not <laughs> it's not so much what you write about. You said it last time, and I love what you said. Write to your passion, write to your heart. Right. Hope that hope that you're lucky and that you're on a trend, which you said that you were with the, with the bios. I just read something that talked about uh, writing rules, and one of them has always been write what you know. Well, that rule came about when it was much more difficult to find out information. You know, now I'm working on something that has bugs in it. You know, what sound does this bug make? I don't know. I'll just go to the computer and find out. Yeah, but and, and what would happen if um, you invented the sound, you see? Well, that's uh, a, what I really want is that, you know. No, no, no I, 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 I know. I know. Um, but uh, you yeah, see. Yeah, you're right. It you, could be any sound. You know? it, it, it's not like, um, you know, I, this is really why we're talking today. Because there's two lorries, you see. There's the lorry that wants to get everything right. You know, Hedy Lamar never said, uh, oh, I'm going to be late for this meeting. So it's not going to be a uh, Even though it might be really a good joke or something or segue to something. Right. Um, and then there's the lorry Walmart who writes about a pajama party of dinosaurs, right? Which, as far as I know as a scientist, has little connection with reality. Okay, and so the first lorry Walmart... When I was in grade school, I would get a note on my report card that said, Lori tends to be a perfectionist. So that's, you're right. That's the first Lori that I, yeah. it's got to be right. It's got to be correct. The grammar has to be correct, mm -hmm. you know. And, 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 and people, you see, people are composite and they're complicated. So if I were, if I were writing a biography of you and I talked about, you know, Lori Walmart, the scientist, and, 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 and then I left out Lori Walmart, the musician. So it would be nonfiction, and it would be true, but it wouldn't be you. And that, in a nutshell, is the difficulty in writing picture book biographies. Exactly, which is why uh, I shy away from it. And, th and then I look at the other Lori, which, you know, the other Lori has in her heart a place for Michigan's. Absolutely. <laughs> and even knows what it means. <laughs> For sure. And um, don't let the Walmart uh, right. deceive you here. Uh, you're a Shana Maynard from way back. So um, got it. I just want, so I, I want to share with you one thing. I don't know if I've ever said this on the show. When I was four or five years old, I got pissed off at the world. Um, my dad used to read to me every night. Um, and uh, I had two books about Peter Pan, and they each had a different illustrator. And Laurie, I remember it drove me mad. Right, which I, does I was, he really look like? And I would say, yeah, exactly. I say to Dad, which is the real Peter Pan? Dad probably had a good laugh. He was an engineer. Um, I was going to say, but that's why you were a scientist too, because that's the way, as scientists, we think. We want to know. We're curious. What What is this difference? What does it mean? Yes. Um, well, we're not we're not going to interview me now, um, just, <laughs> except to say that after a career of being a scientist for thirty years, I went back to what I really wanted to, which is write children's books, and um, 
I don't really write about science in my in my picture books. Um, but that's you know that's uh, when I become famous like you and somebody interviews me. Um, Laurie, so uh, what haven't we covered? We've celebrated your your uh, brand new book. We've talked about your recent ouvre. We've talked about things that are coming out that we shouldn't talk about. Uh, we and, and and we agreed too much. Um, that at the end of the day, it's the story in the, in the in the in the picture book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction or whatever label as human beings we want to tag on the book or tag on you as an author. You know what we didn't get into that maybe we will another time is how true does nonfiction have to be? You know how much can you push that envelope a little bit and still claim that it's nonfiction? Or how about something that's nonfiction but has, you know, like a little ant in the corner telling the story, right? So obviously the ant is not nonfiction, but everything the ant is saying is nonfiction. So let, let's, I, I mean, we'll, we'll have another interview, but in the meantime, let's talk for this about this for a couple of minutes, because this is how I write nonfiction, is I will have an ant in the corner talking about it. Um, but I don't, I don't say that it's nonfiction. Most people would call that informational fiction. Yeah, but my question to you is, who cares what other people call it? Because the librarians yeah. have to put it somewhere in the library. Okay. Because, and the okay, booksellers have to put it somewhere in the store. That's why yeah. it's important. Okay. But, um, you know, Betsy, uh, Betsy Bird, who was on the show, she now has new categories for informational nonfiction. Right. And, and people are coming around. So there's going to be new categories because... When you write a story that's being told by an aunt, and not an aunt that's uh, your uncle's wife, um, <laughs> right? Um, and, and nobody's going to say that this is strict nonfiction. But th that's actually a very important point. That but if it's it is story clear, good, story fun, right? If it is clear whether it's fiction or nonfiction, then you're fine. You know, in the aunt talking, it's very clear. It's when authors, let's take the dialogue situation, put in dialogue, then as a reader, I will assume, since it's nonfiction, nonfiction, as a reader, I will assume the person really said that in that situation to that person. And that's where you get into trouble. The person may have really have said it. You know, I have in several of my books, we have quotations as part of the illustration the person really said it, but I don't know what was then said back to her. I can't have a dialogue because I might know what she said, but not what the other person yeah, said. But, yeah, but you could you could put in a dialogue and say this is a historical nonfiction. Sure. Um, I, well, except know, I, I call I, it historical fiction, or it's that blurry line. And I, I, I always get those confused. Well, and again, you know, Lori tends to be a perfectionist, right? I have not outgrown that. So it would drive me nuts to put something in there that wasn't absolutely true to the best of my knowledge. Except in the dinosaur book. Except where in the dinosaur book. Where, where, and this is what I tell my students, that um, in, in fiction, everything is kosher except for the truth. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, but, 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 but between us, okay, when you're writing, and I understand you, and it's okay, when you're writing nonfiction, you're trying to give a picture of a singular uh, truth. Yes. 
but you don't get to create a universe. You see, in your book about Rivka's presence, uh, you created a universe in, in the dialogue. But I created a universe based in truth, right? So it wasn't a completely um, made up universe. You know, the tenements really existed. The that, go, go to the dinosaurs. Right, the dinosaurs, not so much truth. <laughs> like, and, not and, at all. And, and, um, and kids love that. The kids must love that book. Yeah. Hey, I love fiction too. There is nothing wrong with fiction at all. That Most was... of what I read is fiction. So, I mean, this this has been a great conversation. And um, I I expected maybe we would argue more, and we didn't. Huh. I must have been having an off day. <laughs> no, I think it was wonderful. Well, that I didn't argue more is what I'm saying. So, 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 so it's it, it's mostly about following your passion because passions lead us, and and maybe angst also. Why um, not? The, the, the angst to be perfect, the angst to be this, that, <laughs> um, to write terrific stories. And I think that that's the challenge. Let the librarians put them in categories. Not that I don't love librarians, but that's I, I don't, I, I'm not sure that's our job. Our job is to write really good stories. I will agree with you with that. But as a professional author who wants her books to be published, you do have to think of other things. You can't just write whatever the heck you want if you want your book to be traditionally published. You know, there's that a little bit you have to think about what people are buying, would they be willing to buy this and publish it? Doesn't mean you shouldn't write it, you can write whatever you want. But if you want to write to be published, you have to think about other things. Okay, that's gonna be good food for our next conversation because we're <laughs> we're not gonna agree on that too much. There I mean, you go. No, it, it's okay, it's okay to, um, to have a market. Oh, I had this wonderful conversation with, with Charlotte Offsay about this. And um, we're not- Who has wonderful books, by the way. She has, and but you know, there's some people can say, give me a subject, okay? I want a picture book about sausage. And some people will sit down and they'll write a fantastic story about sausage, but I won't because I, I you're telling me to write a story about sausage? Uh-oh, I'm afraid we have to agree again. That could I write about sausage? Sure. Would it be any good? Nope. So we keep we keep agreeing. This is this has to stop somewhere. I know. So 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 Laurie, you I'm gonna... were, you thought you were going to get me there, but nope. Yeah. So so I'm gonna I'm just gonna congratulate you. Uh, hold up your brand new book, uh, co-author, um, brand new book, Journey to the Stars, um, Kalpana Chawla. Astronaut, I probably mispronounced her name because I'm not on Voices, There's written by Laurie Walmart and the wonderful and Rocky. Rocky Mertandani. There you go. I'm going to let you pronounce her family name. Right. Except when we get to the illustrator, I am not sure. Maitreya Ghosh? I should have found out. Mm -hmm. Go for, ne for, next, for next time. Exactly. <laughs> Laurie Waldmark, it's been wonderful having you back. Congratulations on your new books. And we cannot wait for the next one, um, which has some chubby animal. We're not gonna we're not gonna say <laughs> that it's coming out at some point. <laughs> I, it, as always, it's a pleasure, Mel. And uh, we'll have you back. So so I'm Mel Rosenberg and I am the host. I'm getting it right this time. I'm the host of the Children's <laughs> Literature Channel, the New Books Network, and I've been here with a wonderful 
exciting, terrific, international award-winning author, Lori Walmart. Who's also very modest, of course. <laughs> you are. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye, everybody.